All right, let's give it up for our dads. In fact, I'm going to embarrass the dads for a minute. If you would, if you're a dad, would you stand up? Stepdads, dads, foster dads, biological, you stand up just for a second. I want to thank you. I want to thank you on behalf of our church. I want to thank you as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ for the hidden things you do. The things no one knows about or will never know about. The sacrifices you make, the stress you carry on your shoulder as you try to navigate this life and leading the family God has blessed you to lead. On a day like this, some of you, man, things are going great with the kids and connect, everything seems to be going right. And other times, this would be a day where you're like, man, this is just a reminder of failure. But God has uniquely positioned you, positioned you as an image bearer of God specifically in this role for the responsibility of bearing the image of God the Father. When I say that, even when I say that, my heart's like skips a beat. I'm like, whoa, it's not what I signed up for. But God wants the world to know him. He wants your children, your stepchildren, your foster children. He wants them to know him. And he wants to work in your life and through your life in this high calling of fatherhood. I thank you for the sacrifices, for the stress you carry, for the hidden things you do, but I also challenge you. Challenge you regardless of what the past says, regardless of whether you'd say, man, yesterday or the days or decades before, I didn't do it right. Don't miss out on an opportunity. Don't miss out on an opportunity to represent, to reflect our Lord Jesus well in this role and responsibility. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna pray for our dads. I want to pray right now. I'll vocalize that prayer. And here's what I want to ask you to do. If you're sitting around one of these guys, even if they're not your dad, maybe they're a complete stranger, if you'll stand up and just put your hand on their shoulder. Is it anything weird, right? We're just, you know, maybe after service, you can introduce yourself to that person and that's the weird person that put their hand on your shoulder, whatever that may be. But it's our way of saying, dads, we're behind you. We don't expect perfection. Jesus is perfect. You're not. We all know it. In fact, some of us around you can't even smell it, Right? But what we want is you to be that example of what it is to pursue Jesus Christ, to come from a place of broken pursuit and never give up and allow us to see, to see the provider, protector, the caretaker of God in and through your lives. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I wanna begin by just saying thank you. Your word says every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so our fathers, regardless of, of our experiences with them in the past. or Our fathers are a gift from you. And God, I also wanna thank you for the high calling of fatherhood. It might not be something that every culture celebrates, but it's something that you have created and that you celebrate and you use to change the world. So God, I pray for these men standing in this room, for the men watching online right now, that God, you would fill them up, encourage them. Let them not wallow in past failure or even stand tall in past success but in humility to press forward, to be the man you've called them to be, to lead their kids, whether they're little bitty babies in their arms or they're at that point in their life where they're seeing their babies hold their babies. God, may we be a church full of men faithful to this high calling of fatherhood. And God, may today, today be a, a moment of gratitude, today be a moment of encouragement, but also a moment of challenge for each of us to pursue you with everything we have and to watch you do infinitely more in our lives and through our lives than all we could ask or imagine. God, we love you, and we pray these things in the precious 
and holy name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's give our dads one more big round of applause. <laughs> Woo! You guys could take a seat. I encourage you, if you get an opportunity to speak love, speak gratitude, speak truth, speak care and encouragement into the fathers in and around your life, whether it's your own father or another friend of yours, whatever it might be that you know it's serving God in the role of father, encourage them today. Take the time to do that for them. Now, I wanna start off celebrating something that happened last week. Last week, many of you know, there was a large group of us that were away at an event called Fearless Family Camp. We met up at, I think it's Grass Lake, Michigan. Uh, that's just a little bit west of Ann Arbor. We had 24 families join us up there, uh, and we had 33 volunteers. Our volunteers did an amazing job. And last Sunday, woo, yeah, awesome. Our last uh, Sunday, we were doing the same thing y'all are doing here, except we were, they have a lake on the property and a beach, and so we were standing on that beach singing praises to God. We were praying. We also got to see eight people baptized. So five kids, we had a dad get baptized, yeah, and two volunteers. So praise God for that. It's just a neat opportunity to watch moms and dads just engaging with their kids, doing some uh, fun things, some memorable stuff, but also leading their families in some intense spiritual conversations. And we pray and hope that events like that are a catalyst. And I want to encourage you, if you're new around here, hey, we do this once a year, Fearless Family Camp. We'd love to have you join and participate, but we'd also love to have you serve. So all ages are invited to serve. We had people that were married. We had people that were single, people with no kids, people with kids, all ages serving. My favorite thing is watching families serve together, and that was a neat opportunity as well. So be on the lookout. Now, why do we do events like Fearless Family Camp? We do this to accomplish our mission. Our mission really answers the question, why do we exist as a church? We can't just be some kind of social club that gathers periodically and, and enjoys time with one another. That, that's fine. That's fine. But we have to have a grander, a bigger mission, a bigger reason. And our mission is dictated by our Lord. Around here, we say our mission this way. We say our mission is we want to be fearless followers of Jesus. In other words, we want to be so faithful to who God has called us to be, to be faithful to his son, Jesus Christ, in recognition of who he is and what he's done for us on the cross, that it almost appears that we are fearless. But we want to do that not just for individual growth and development. We want to be used by God to change the world. Let me ask you to do me a favor. Even if you're watching online, in the room, definitely. I want you to look at the screen for a moment. Don't look at me. Now, when you think about that mission, do you see yourself contributing to that mission? If so, how do you see yourself contributing? Would you say your contribution is small or is it significant? What about God? When God looks at you and he says, you are a contributor to my global eternal mission, is he, you see, your contribution is small or significant? My concern is a lot of you answer the one on top. You think to yourself, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. And, and, and this, this question of significance is a huge question for us. Some of you, this is what you're wrestling with now. You're wondering, am I significant? And maybe it's not even related to the mission of God. Maybe you're wondering in your relationships, when it comes to my marriage, am I significant? Am I really important? Or am I just a roommate? When it comes to my kids, like some of you dads stood up a moment ago, I don't know, man. Like things are not going well with my kids or what things have went sideways and I don't know that I'm significant. What about at work? I mean, if 
if tomorrow was your last day, would anybody notice? What about on that team that you play on? Are you significant? What about school or what about church? Are you significant? What about God's mission? Jesus, when he invited people to follow him, he said, come, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Come join me and join my mission. Are you significant? Some of you, you're asking this question that bleeds over asking, is, is what I'm doing really significant? Some of you think that your mother-in-law emailed me because you're like, that's exactly what I'm feeling. Tomorrow at 3.30 in the afternoon, I'll be sitting at work wondering, does this even matter? I'll be having another conversation with that person. Do I even matter? Does this matter what I'm doing? When we think about significance in our world, we often measure significance in, in words like how much or how many. In other words, we'll say things, how many people do I impact or influence with my words or with my actions? In social media terms, right? How many followers do I have? You hear people now, and maybe you're in this category, say, well, I hope to one day be an influencer. And if you ask that person, they're not hoping to influence two or three people. It's more like two or 300,000 people. And you think, well, if, 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 if I'm significant, there's a lot of people that I'm impacting influences, or maybe it's even more simplistic. You know, maybe it's even more reflective of our culture. Well, how many, how many possessions I have? <laughs> like the quality or quantity of what I have. You get a million dollars in the bank. I mean, that's a big, that's a big moment. You get a billion dollars in the bank. People know your name. You have freedom. You have power. How much power do you exert? How much power is exerted upon you? Some of you that serve in the U.S. military, you know, you get a base camp, right? You realize, I have no power. I don't even have, I have to ask somebody to use a restroom, right? But it, if you've worked your way up the ranks or worked your way up the org chart, maybe right now you have hundreds of people that you direct and command and control. So does that make you significant? Does that make me significant? If significant is measured on how much or how many, then Jesus, at the end of his life here on earth, was not very significant. When you think about it for a moment, some of you know this, he was arrested in the garden. And on that night, he had 12 highly committed followers of Jesus. One of those guys walked up and kissed him on the cheek. And this wasn't just a kiss hello. Many of you know, that was a kiss of betrayal. So that's one guy. And then when he gets arrested and the swords come out and they, the, the torches are there and they're taking him away, you know what the other 11 guys did? Some of you guys know this. Abandoned him. Took off. Well, after the resurrection, people get a little more committed. And 40 days after walking the earth in his resurrected state, it's still at the end. Acts chapter 1 tells us there's only about 120 people that were part of the movement that Jesus Christ was creating. I don't know if that's significant. As far as possessions, Jesus said even the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He was a nomad. He was a homeless man. As far as power, he had no political power, so much so that the political powers in place at that time were able to take advantage and, and to cheat the system and arrest him unjustly, trial him, and ultimately execute him. So if we measure significance on things like how much or how many, then Jesus wouldn't be significant. But here's the reality. And even some of you that don't believe that Jesus is God's son, that you're just searching things out, you're online right now just asking questions, praying, sir, we're glad you're here. Even you would admit this. There is no one in the history of the world that has had such a significant impact in the world. It's unparalleled than Jesus Christ. Why is that? He didn't have the how much, how many. 
The reason that's true is because in the kingdom of God, small can be significant. In God's kingdom, small can be significant. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn or turn on your phone or whatever it might be to Luke chapter 13 because Jesus is going to introduce this principle to his followers. This principle and this idea that small can be significant. Beginning in verse 18, listen to what he says. He says, Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? Okay? And, and, and over the last few weeks, we've been in a message series entitled Upside Down Kingdom. And what we've been doing is we focused on the gospel of Luke. So there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all these provide four perspectives, some sharing some of the same stories, so we can get better uh, knowledge of who Jesus is and what it means to be committed and to follow him. Well, we fo focus specifically on the kingdom teachings of Jesus. So what it's like to be part of the kingdom of God. Now, the reason we do that is because Jesus himself, early in his ministry, he did miraculous things. You're probably not surprised. You've heard of that. Some of you have that memorized, right? He would heal people. He would cast out demons, all these kinds of amazing things. But he, people would, would be drawn to that, and they didn't want him to leave from them. But he said, no, no, I've got to go. I've got to go because I have a grander mission. He said this. He said, I must preach the good news, what? Of the kingdom of God. I've come to establish the kingdom of God. I gotta go to other places, to other towns. This is why I was sent. I came to proclaim the kingdom of God. But as people begin to listen to Jesus, and even over the last few weeks, as we have studied these kingdom teachings, and we realize this kingdom is not like any kingdom on the face of the earth. In fact, it is almost opposite or upside down, if you will, of what we would think. It's not a kingdom where there's conquering and controlling people. It's a kingdom of love, and service. It's not a kingdom of the, the, the rich and powerful. It's a kingdom made up of the poor and powerless. Those who are broken, those who are lonely, those who've been abandoned, those who, the outcasts of society. It's not a kingdom where you try to overthrow your enemy. It's a kingdom where you're commanded to, to love your enemy, to do good to those who hate you. Does this sound like any kingdom you've ever heard of, to bless those who curse you, to pray for those who hurt you? Indeed, it is it is very much an upside-down kingdom. And as you read through Luke or any of the Gospels, you'll start to say, man, this is a little different. So when we come to passages like this where he's about to tell us what the kingdom of God is like, we need to lean in and listen, but we also need to prepare ourselves. He's probably going to say something that seems opposite or upside-down than what we would normally think. Now, in the first century, any good Jew was anticipating, praying for, hoping for, expecting the Messiah— so they were familiar, and oftentimes, either through written oral traditions, as they would go to the synagogue, they would hear the words of the former prophets. And the prophets wrote about and proclaimed there would be a coming Messiah, the anointed one. And this Messiah, in their minds, in the first century Jewish mind, was this Messiah is going to be a political leader. He's going to rescue us. He's going to reestablish Israel as a political powerhouse. So they were anticipating and expecting this, especially after being the last 90, almost 90 years underneath the control and oppression of the Roman Empire. So when people begin to discuss and talk and say, man, I, I, think, I think this Jesus from Nazareth, this Jesus may be the Messiah. They were getting excited because in their mind, the kingdom of God was equivalent to the nation of Israel. And Jesus had come to build what? The nation of Israel, to build their kingdom. So they're hoping for this big show, this big takeover. And Jesus is like, okay, let me tell you what the kingdom of God is like. It's dominant. It's awesome. It's like a tiny mustard. What? Okay, Jesus, your kingdom is like this? 
I mean, think about it. We just sang, some of you lifted up your hands and you're all, man, this is the kingdom I wanna be a part of. This, some small, seemingly insignificant seed, that's what the kingdom of God is like. And Jesus continues, he says, no, 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 look, look, look. When it's planted in the garden, it grows. Becomes like a tree. The birds make their nests in its branches. Even though the mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds that exists and is seemingly insignificant when planted and watered over time can grow to be as much as 20, maybe even 25 feet high. So when Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like a tiny mustard seed, he's referring to the current movement in the first century. He's saying, as you listen to my followers, as you watch, because he would draw large crowds, but few were committed. When they actually pushed, came to shove, few were committed. It didn't seem like a, a mighty movement of God. And he said, it may look small now, but it's like a mustard seed. Because in due time, God's gonna do a work and this kingdom is going to expand. This kingdom's going global. This kingdom is not temporary. It is eternal. It's different than you're thinking. See, in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, Small can be significant. He continues on. He says, well, what, what else is the kingdom of God like? He's continued to share this parable. He says, well, it's like yeast that a woman used in making bread. I love, Jesus is like a master in il illustrations and, and practical analogies that people could understand. Because think about this illustration. It is not bound by time or culture. Every culture throughout the history of the world has some form of bread that goes by different names. They may look, but they understand how yeast works. And he's saying, with the kingdom of God, it's like, a, it's like yeast. And he continues on, he says, even though this lady just only puts a little yeast in three measures of flour. I think probably the three measures of flour may be an exaggeration. That's anywhere from 50 to 60 pounds of flour could feed over 150 men easily. And he's saying, there's just a little bit of yeast mixed in there. But, but once it's mixed in, it permeates every part of the dough. In the same way, the kingdom of God this day, he would say in the first century, may not look significant. It may be seemingly small, but God's got some big plans, some global plans, some eternal plans. This kingdom's gonna permeate every people, every place. And it's an advantage for us in 2023 because there's not a single continent on this planet where the gospel is not present. There might be a few countries and that number is constantly going down as the gospel permeates person to person, nation to nation, and begins to spread, permeating every part of the world. Jesus is saying, don't, don't forget, don't forget, because in the kingdom of God, small can be significant. So whether it's the mustard seed or the yeast, we see they're small, but they have a huge impact on the dough and the garden. So it is, with the kingdom of God. Small can be significant. Think about Jesus himself. Over 2,000 years ago, we celebrate it once a year. There was a little baby boy born, not in an inn because there was no room for him in the inn. Instead, he was born where animals are kept. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a food trough that we call a manger. Seemingly small and insignificant, but God's plan for the salvation of all of humanity. The first group God goes to is not some well-known people group, it's some shepherds. Can you name one of the shepherds in the field? No, you can't. You know why? Because they seemingly small and insignificant people entrusted with the greatest message ever spoken. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Greatest message, most significant message shared and implanted in a small, insignificant group of people. Jesus, Jesus understood and wanted to communicate this kingdom is different. We always say, go big or go home, right? And he would say, no, 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 no. Small things, small things change the world. He said this. He said, look, if you had the faith of what? Small as a mustard seed. What could you do with that kind of faith? That's so small. It's so insignificant. It's almost like I am or you are. He says, no, if you had that kind of faith in the hands of God, small can be significant. You could move mountains. Nothing would be impossible for you. Why? Because small can be significant. All right, we get it, Pastor. Small things in the hand of God can have a significant impact, but how, how does that even help us? Like, how do we move from here? Because when you and I understand, when we grab hold of this principle, simple principle that Jesus taught, then we will be able to know who we are in God's kingdom. Remember, you didn't say it out loud. You didn't type it down on your computer. But some of you, when I put those words small and significant, and I asked you about the mission of God, you ranked yourself as small. And God's like, yeah, that's, that's cool, because small can be significant. Understanding who you are. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, you are God's masterpiece. You're his workmanship. There's no one like you. Do you realize that? Do you understand that? No one has that unique personality, gifts, abilities, life experiences, all those things mixed up to make you a unique fingerprint of God on this world. No one like you. Are you significant? The answer is yes, yes, and yes. And he goes on and he says, and God has created you to be a new creation, to be different in Christ Jesus. Now, I know not all of you are following Jesus at this point. Not everybody watching online, you're all in committed to Christ. But I want you to know, if you make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches us that you then receive the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity. So you've heard this before. There's one God who exists in three people, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes inside of you and begins the process of transformation. It's called sanctification. That's the big Bible word. It's the process of you and I becoming more like Jesus. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens the rest of our life until Christ returns or we die. We are continually being made in the image of Christ. And so Paul's saying, look, you're his masterpiece and he's continuing to chip away parts of your life to sculpt you to look more like Jesus. And he's doing this because he's got good things that he has planned for you to do. So as I realize I am his masterpiece, I see that I am significant. And when I do the good works that God has planned for me, what I do becomes significant. Now you might be saying, and you probably should say this, okay, well, I don't know, Chris. I like, that's fine, that's cool, but I don't know the good things. How do I know the good things? And here's what I, here's what I realize about my own life, and I've heard others say it as well. Oftentimes we miss the good things that God wants for us is because we're so focused on finding those significant things. Man, I, I want it to be this big thing because bigger is always better. Man, there's this big thing God had. What, 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 what is it? What is it? And, and the thing is, we don't like when sometimes the good things that God has for us are actually the small things, the simple things, the obvious things. Forgiving that person who doesn't deserve forgiveness, being kind, walking in the office saying, I'm here to serve everybody. Wait a second, Chris, I'm the boss, I'm significant. What if Jesus said, no, you want significance 
walk in as a servant. See, you are significant because indeed you are the masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece, one of a kind. But you're significant because of the simple, small, faithful things that you do. And oftentimes we don't want to do the small things because we don't believe that small can be significant. And some of you have been made to feel insignificant because in your mind you haven't done the big things. And Jesus would say, all I want is mustard seed faith. Oh, that's too small. Oh, yeah, well, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. I take the small and make it significant. See, when we grab onto this principle, we not only know who we are in God's kingdom, but we also know how to build God's kingdom. We have insider language here. I don't share it much on Sunday morning. It's kind of like with staff kind of directing them. And one of the things that we say a lot around here is this. We need to dream big, but start small, simple, strategic. We need to dream big. Some of you know one of my favorite verses in the Bible, the kind of verse that just amps my heart and soul is Ephesians 3.20. And it says this, now all glory to God. And that just reminds me, man, it is honestly at the end of the day, it's all about God, not about us. All glory to God who is able, what's he's able to do? Watch this, according to his mighty power at work. Let me ask you a question. What is God able to do? Even people that don't believe in God, you already know the answer. You know what we who have faith in Jesus as God's son and have faith in who God is, we believe that nothing, nothing is impossible for God. But watch this. It's not just according to his power, it's at work where? Within us. Remember, I shared that just a moment ago. What happens when you decide to follow Jesus? You receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is 100% God. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you have access to the power of God working in and through your life. What's he able to do? infinitely more abundantly more exceedingly more than all we might ask or think we need to dream god-sized dreams dreams paul would say are too small it's beyond what you're thinking it's beyond what you're asking or praying for god let me ask you a question listen to this what is the extraordinary eternal impact god wants to make through your life let me say it again. What is the extraordinary, eternal impact God wants to do in and through your life? You are not small. You are significant to the kingdom of God. Every one of you, every one of you, do you recognize that it is the small things? Because here's the thing. I think what happens is we start to dream big and we get nervous, right? We get nervous because deep in your heart, you know you can't do it. You know you don't have the ability you don't have the power. And that's Paul's point. Yeah, it's not according to your ability. It's not according to your experience. It's not according to your power. It's according to whose power? His, the power of God. So we, we dream big and then we stop because we think God's calling us to these mustard tree leaps of faith. And I think Jesus, what he would say to us, you don't have to have a mustard tree leap of faith. What if you had a small mustard seed step of faith you'll never take that step if you believe small is not significant but when you grab hold of this and i grab a hold of small we begin to think and act small simple and strategically one of the best examples is jesus there's nothing he couldn't have done but jesus took hundreds of followers and he said you 12 come with me 
He spent three and a half years with these 12, teaching them to know and love him and how to live as kingdom citizens. One ultimately betrayed him, that's right. But the 11 remaining, a small, simple, strategic investment, those 11 men are the reason you're sitting here today. Empowered by the Spirit of God, they took on the mustard seed faith and had a mustard tree significance that forever has changed this world. We have to realize we will never start the big dream that God puts in our heart if we don't embrace that small can be significant. So I would encourage you to ask God this question. As, as, as you're asking God, God, what is the big dream? What do you wanna do in and through my life? To ask this question every day, just do one week, one week. Just uh, start today and end on Saturday, seven times. Just pray this prayer. Say, God, what is my next small, simple, strategic step of faith? Yeah, the big dream, and I love, I love to dream. I love when you guys come up, man, man, I believe I have this vision for my family and my kids are gonna know and walk with Christ and I'm praying that God uses them in an amazing way. I got this great vision for my business. I got this great vision for my marriage. That's awesome, dream big, but what's the small, simple, strategic step of faith? The mustard seed faith, because small, small can be significant. This is the kingdom principle. Dads. What if that seemingly small act of playing catch with your daughter in the backyard leads to the most significant conversation you've ever had with her? Some of you young moms with preschoolers, you're living those type of days where you're like, what in the world does that smell? 30 seconds later, you realize it's you. You forgot deodorant, that's all right. You're standing on two feet, praise God, right? But in your mind, you're like, does any, does any of this matter? I'm exhausted every day. And you are working the yeast of God's love in your children's life. And what you see small, our Father sees as significance because you are building the global and eternal kingdom of God one child at a time. Some of you students, you know, you have that friend that let's, how do you say it appropriate? It's just weird, right? And, and, and at school or on the team or in the neighborhood, whatever, nobody sees this kid. And what you think is just a small and simple friendship to that child, to that fellow student is so significant to someone who feels unloved, unseen. What you deem as small, Jesus sees his significance. Mustard seed steps of faith change the world. You know how Jesus is gonna change the world? Like this. I'm all about dreaming big and we should dream big. But what if we became a church full of people with mustard seed faith? But if I'm not mistaken, Jesus said that's how the kingdom of God looks. If you had the faith of a mustard seed, what could happen? You could move mountains. As Jesus wraps up this portion of his teaching, he's saying, look, you don't understand. It may look small now. It may look like only a few faithful people and it's not a big movement. But in the end, in the end, when the kingdom of God is eternally established, what's gonna happen is, is people will come from all over the world. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation will be represented from the east and the west, north and south, and they'll take their place in the eternal kingdom of God. And then watch what he says next. It's crazy. He says, in that moment, when we look around, 
Those who seem least important or small will be what? Most important, most significant. Some who we all know their names or whatever, they're actually not gonna be that significant. Why? Why? Because in the kingdom of God, small, small can be significant. So here's my challenge for you this week. I want you to dream big. What can God do in and through my life? Infinitely more than all that I can ask or imagine. But I don't want you to just sit on the sideline and dream. Instead, I want you to take a small mustard seed step of faith. Small, simple, strategic. No one's gonna recognize it. Your name's not gonna be in light somewhere. It's gonna be one step out of another. One small, strategic, simple faith step. And watch Watch what God does in and through your life this week as you embrace this kingdom principle that in the kingdom of God, small can be significant. Let's pray.